This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience we were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue. Come the northern lights Oh, and in the deep dark blue Come the northern lights Welcome to episode 67 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm with Joe Fredericks. We're here on the edge of Superior National Forest, which is therefore on the edge of the Boundary Waters Wilderness, although in the distance I can see a great big lake glistening in the distance out there it's a big lake <laughs> big as they come bigger than sag make sag look like a little pond i guess it is <laughs> and that lake is a pond out there compared to the big old ocean there's water everywhere it's time water it's water's moving water's rising water's going down it's starting to warm up slowly in the boundary waters we're kind of moving out of that whole ice theme that started our paddling season certainly and was a major theme for many trips around the fishing opener trips were postponed canceled altogether we had our ice bashing experience that we shared in our most recent full episode but we're still having some calls from search and rescue on this side of the wilderness in June. On the 1st of June, there was a a beaver plane that went in and had to get some people off Gillis Lake, uh, and they had capsized, so the water's still cold, and there's just a lot of that still is part of the paddling season, still early in the season. Indeed, you know, but I do recall just a few days ago when we were cleaning some fish uh, on the edge of the Boundary Waters shore that the water was felt much warmer than it did just a few weeks ago and it's, it's nice to see that change is coming it is you know i've heard some varying fish reports too i mean our own experience of i think been an indication of what's happening some fish you find it, you put in the work not a lot of fish some it's been a slower start just a different type of a start to the season largely for from angling to recreation you know the the greatest part about the wilderness you never know what you're going to get exactly. when it comes to those elements and that's been a theme every year consistently right i wanted to kind of go back with that idea in mind matthew to some discussion we had during the first season of the podcast here we are now in season five uh of interview we did with Stu osthoff and talked to Stu. he's the founder and publisher of the Boundary Waters Journal, based in Ely, but uh, many, many people who listen to this podcast probably are familiar with the Boundary Waters Journal, the magazine, and probably familiar with Stu. Uh, So if you want to hear that full interview, you can jump back to to season one. And the question is largely about 
just users of the wilderness, technology. Fill me in, man. Fill us in, Matthew. Well, you know, as I think back to that interview, and Stu brought up just a lot. You know, he's been around for a long time. You know, he's watched a lot of the ebbs and flows and the changes and users and he just brought up so many questions that really stuck with me and I think stuck with you and that we've been I think trying to answer over time in our connection with the larger paddle community and this episode we're gonna try to get some answers okay yeah with that in mind let's start out your conversation this this discussion you have with a number of people man we're gonna hear a lot of different voices on today's episode but let's start with Stu Ostoffs and this uh, clip from season one, and then we'll we'll move into it from there. Here's Stu. The big change that we've seen that's disappointing is our readership's getting older, and that the younger people aren't going. So, like a lot of magazines, when the internet crunch hit and all that, um, people aren't reading stuff on paper like they used to. Um, but I think one of the biggest things why the younger people aren't going besides they don't want to unplug is it takes a significant investment of what I call time, energy, money, and sweat equity to go on a wilderness canoe trip. It's not an instant gratification thing. you got to go a number of times before you really develop that affinity for what the canoe country is all about. And that doesn't really mesh with what I see in this, in the younger millennials. I've been around the paddling community long enough to know that Stu's perspective here is not uniquely his. This concern for the wilderness may also be paired with an experience of disconnection from the perspective of a younger generation. And his comments stayed with me in the form of a question. How do we need to continue to evolve as a paddling community to make our wilderness and canoe country accessible and relatable to the next generation? The first theory that emerged is that we need to loosen up around our judgments toward technology, especially cell phones in the wilderness. I wondered whether promoting young people's ability to take photos and videos of their trips to post on social media would assist in making the wilderness more relatable to a younger audience. The core question is around how we embrace or reject the use of technology on our paddling trips. I posed this question to a peer at Canucopia, who struck me as a natural fit for the topic. I'm Ben Stregge, and I created Paddle Planner. The wilderness uh, we often think of as being no, no technology, that we don't have any technology in the wilderness. Uh, just to illustrate the evolution over the years, my grandpa, when he'd talk about going up to Agnes Lake in the Quetico, uh, he said, we took a 10-pound sack of potatoes with us, and, and that's how they cooked. Uh, and they cooked over a fire. My dad and his brother would go up. When they first started going, they'd build their own campfires until uh, one trip, it had been raining all day and they were supposed to make macaroni that night and they could not get the fire lit all the wood was soaked they could just not get anything started Uh, they could not get the water boiling enough and the noodles ended up being a pile of mush at the bottom of the pan 
and they just poured a little bit of cheese over it and uh, said, said, okay, well, I guess this is what we have to eat today. And never again will we want to have to build a cook fire, so they bought a stove <laughs> to take with them. So there's like the first evolution there. Mm-hmm. Well, stoves have continued to evolve over the years, and along with other technology, like uh, when my grandpa went up, they had aluminum canoes or the really heavy fiberglass canoes. Uh, when my dad and uncle first started going, they had a, an aluminum canoe from Alumacraft, uh, one of the lightweight aluminum canoes, and uh, that served them well. On, my, on that first trip that I went on in 1995, they purchased uh, their first Winona canoe, and they said, we're never going back to mm-hmm. aluminum. Uh, so things continue to evolve, uh, and the question usually is, well, what do we allow? Uh, what is okay and what is not okay? And we don't really bat an eyelash at some of those. Um, that it's great having these things out in the wilderness. Uh, it's not how our ancestors lived, but we call it wilderness and that's okay. And I'm okay with that. I, am pr- I love my Kevlar canoes. I love my lightweight stove and my tent and my nice sleeping bag. I love all of these things. Uh, uh, what is happening now is uh, the cell phone technology and being able to take electronics out in the wilderness is definitely evolving. And there has been a lot of pushback on, on things like that. And I'm actually one of those people that I don't like taking technology out with me. My view on it, though, is as long as it's not bothering me or other campers, I'm okay with you checking your cell phone in your campsite. Uh, I'm perfectly okay with that. If you want to use a GPS, uh, that's fine with me. I like to use maps. Uh, I know that's ironic that I run a website based on this, but I use paper maps. Uh, but if someone's using a GPS, uh, that's perfectly fine with me. As long as it's not disturbing other people's experience in the wilderness, uh, I don't see why there's not a reason to have technology out there. With this perspective on technology fresh in my mind, I took my questions to some of the younger paddlers you've heard here on the podcast. I asked about their thoughts and experiences regarding Stu's concerns. And I learned, yes, cell phones and technology play a role, but also that our paddling community may be suffering from an identity crisis. My name is Emily Burdett, and I'm 23 years old and live in Wisconsin. And I've been canoeing in Quetico Provincial Park since I was 12. I think. <laughs> the stereotype of the canoers is sort of like, you know, the the older dad who's going with his friends to drink a couple beers, go fishing, go out for a long weekend or a week, um, and just sort of have their bro time, so to speak. That's what I've noticed is the the stereotype of canoers. My name is Will Doherty. I'm 24 years young. I'm from Bayfield, Wisconsin, and I have uh, been canoeing in the Boundary Waters since I was three. My perception has always been that people think 
backpacking is a lot sexier overall. Like I think there's definitely this, this trend in like younger people where it's like backpacking is kind of a thing. And I think, you know, maybe like my experience with canoeing as a kid, like you kind of are just along for the ride. You don't really get a sense of, you know, maybe what the allure is, but I also think like if people knew that, you know, canoeing can be pretty badass, they'd be like, Oh, this is actually really cool. But if you're just going to like paddle the perimeter of a lake and get done, it's, you, you can see a lot of different things in the backpacking trip that you might not see. And you might have this perception that canoeing isn't as, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's cool just because of the fact that you don't understand that you can actually get out and see a lot, you know, it's really what you put into it. Um, I definitely think, you know, people our age, they definitely like, they look at backpacking and they think, Oh, that's, that's the thing, you know, there is an image difference. It's not as cool to post on your Instagram you walking down a portage with a canoe on your shoulders as it is to post on your Instagram, you going off some gnarly cliff in your cool ski jacket and your cool big powder skis. Something about it. There's an image difference. There is. And it is a little bit more intense and performative feeling out here. A little bit more, like you said, like fabricated. Like it's real. Mm -hmm. It's real, but it feels a little bit more um, yeah, performative, I think is the best word I can find there. That last voice you heard is Hazel Oberholzer. When she first came onto the podcast, she was just 16 and about to embark on her first wilderness experience without her parents. She's since done multiple trips with a friend into the Boundary Waters. This next voice you haven't heard on the podcast before, but you may have caught her presentation through Canoe Copia in 2022. My name is Emily Elkins, and um, I've been going to the Boundary Waters for years and years on end. I'm 21. Social media is huge. Um, seeing different platforms, especially right now, Instagram and TikTok are massive platforms that almost everybody from like eight years old and on is on. And having those platforms show different experiences in the outdoors can get the gears turning for kids to being like, maybe I want to go out and do that. The difference is that adrenaline the adrenaline with skiing and snowboarding and the like big mountain sports it's a lot about adrenaline people are are chasing that like fear factor it's like oh my god i'm gonna go off this cliff and in the boundary waters there's not as much of that but i think the way that i feel when i and looking at my surroundings and the beautiful boundary waters and feeling so grateful and appreciative is the same way that I feel when I am having a great powder day and looking around and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be here. It's that same like present moment awe of the nature around you. One of my favorite parts about being out in the woods, regardless of the activity I'm doing, is just being away for a little bit. I totally agree with the idea of thinking of canoeing as 
like a lifestyle. Like to me, it definitely is that time for you to just sort of take a step back from everything else that's happening and fully immerse yourself in what's going around you, whether that's fishing or paddling or swimming or cliff jumping or looking at pictographs. Like I dive so deep into what's going on around me that I think for me having my phone there and getting text message notifications or Instagram notifications would take away from that so much, even if it is to see other people's photos of their sunsets that they're seeing or their great trip. Like I just, I want to be away from that in those moments. Um, yeah, I, I just, I want to embrace everything going on around me. But really like my experience in country is that you are slowing down. Like your, your duration of experience feels longer. Like a week in the, in the boundary waters feels longer than a week at work. It, you know, it feels like you've lived more time. And I was thinking like, well, maybe we should be taking more photos on canoe trips to advocate for these spaces and get people interested but it's like, how would I really convey like the excitement of sitting up late at night and hearing a wolf howl miles away? Like that's really hard to get across in a photo or even a video, right? Like people are going to have to commit to sitting there. Um, and if it's not like, you know, bright colors and, you know, emojis, I don't know if people are going to click on it the same way. Um, it is It is hard to think like, how would I convey this experience where I'm trying to get back to a world without phones, digital influence over a digital medium. I mean, it feels really discordant to me. Technology in the outdoors is always a tricky topic because you don't want to bring too much technology into the outdoors, but you don't want to have too little. And so having the technology to bring people into the mindset of being outdoors and then encouraging them to take away that technology piece that brought them into what they're going into is a little bit tricky and people might be a little apprehensive about it. Um, and so I encourage a lot of people to go with people who have some experience to give them a little bit of ease of mind. Have an ease of mind and you don't need to have your phone with you even though it doesn't have service. So leaving your phone behind and not having that thing to even, some people like just look at it as a comfort, even if you can't do anything on it. And so I think leaving that behind and really fully immersing yourself into the experience is what I've found has always made the trips way better. I am like definitely like a phone addict. Like I think I'm in recovery, but it's not going so smoothly. Um, but it's hard. Like your phone's such like a source of dopamine. Like you just get such a fix from it. You know, you pick it up and you feel good when you see something. Um, and I think that one thing that I am trying to like incorporate into my thought process is that like, if I'm going out into a natural space, it's not about my relationship to my phone or the people that are I'm connecting to through my phone, but like I'm in that space to connect to nature and to connect to myself. Like that's the relationship that I need to foster. And it is hard, right? Like we all think about phones so much and really what it comes down to is just like how much self-control are you willing to, to have at any given moment, you know, cause it is really hard. Like you hear a ding and you're like, I got to go see what that is. That could be something bad or good. And it kind of depends on who you are as a person. I think that, our generation isn't enough credit for 
the power of the phone versus kind of our like adoption of the phone. Like these, these phones are addictive. It's proven. And we've grown up with them since we were tiny babies with sponge brains. So the influence of these phones on our brains is like no other. I mean, people born even as early as like 1999 don't have it as at the same as I do as an 03 baby or as my little brother does as an 08. Like these phones are so ingrained into us. There's le- I think that there should be less judgment of kids these days. They're so attached to their phone because they are highly addictive. Social media is in us and it's tickling at the back of our brains, even when we don't have that phone on us. And I think that like when one idea is presented about you, you're this way, you're this kind of person for so long, it's hard to escape that. And sometimes for kids, I think it's hard to be like, I'm going to go against what everybody says and get off my phone. Cause it's like, I'm just going to do what they think I am. I'm just going to be who they think I am. And like, screw you, dad. I don't want to come to the boundary waters because you know, you make me feel like shit about using my phone and you make me feel like shit about being a teenager and growing and having this brain right now. So I'm not even come with you. <laughs> when I felt judged by my parents about whatever choices that I was making, whatever teenage choices that they were judgmental of, it didn't make me think, hmm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to think about that and change. It didn't make me feel that way. But when my parents have had productive like understanding open conversations about, about social media and phone use. I've, I have, I have been able to grow and get to the point with my phone that I am now. And I still have a ton of growing to do. I think that's like the dream, right? Is like you, you use these backcountry trips as a chance to kind of like sample what things can be like without, you know, this kind of almost oppressive feeling technical world. And then being able to come back with that experience and and actually follow through with it and be like, I'm going to turn my phone off at 9 p.m. and I don't care. Or I end work at five. Guess who's not checking their emails? This Uh guy. Yeah. Like that's the dream, right? It's so hard, but it's, it's something like that is definitely worth striving for. I think, you know, like that's, we always talk about like work-life balance, but there's so many ways that like the work just becomes life, you know, especially in the last two years for so many people. But I agree, like that is that is always my dream, right? Like I'm always hoping that I would get done with a trip and I would be different afterwards. And sometimes you are though, like sometimes you are better about it. Even if it's just for a week, when mm-hmm. you get back from a trip, it starts to change you even in the a little, like the slightest bit where it's like, oh, you know what? I don't need to check my phone right now or, you know, I can give myself five minutes to just sort of reflect and think about my day. I know for me, I've always had that coming back from a canoe trip and then which was always like a week or two. And then after doing the hike, which was like two months out in the woods, I still have times where it's like okay I can take a step back I don't need to be in that like go 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 sort of lifestyle which it's always moving so quickly um and while I maybe can't apply that to my work life I can definitely apply that to my own personal life always with my family trips I'd bring my phone because I just love to be able to take pictures and have those memories and take videos 
but actually just this recent winter camping trip that we went on, I was just, I left my phone and it felt really good because even when your phone isn't connected to cell service, it's this baby. It's like, this can't get wet. I can't break this. Where's my phone? But you're still totally attached to this little thing. And it felt so nice to be like, my phone is just on the windowsill at home and I'll get back to it. And it doesn't matter. But when you have the phone, it's like the moment you get into cell service, all these texts come pouring in and it's so overwhelming. And instead it's just like, that is just at home. I'm going to do the drive back and then I'll come back into real world, into the real world. And I think that that, that trip most recently that I finally did leave my phone is a, is a great reminder to me that, that I should, I should do that more often for teenagers. And I think that there are likely adults who feel this way too. The phone is a security blanket. The phone is a way, if you're feeling anxious, head in the phone. You want to talk to somebody who makes you feel comforted, head in the phone. And leaving the phone and leaving the cell service, even if you're not leaving your phone, is scary for some of those people who have the phone as a big part of their coping mechanisms. And I think, I don't know, I think that that's like a very realistic thing when your comfort or maybe your escape from anxiety, depression, whatever it is, is this little machine. It's not as straightforward as, oh, but the boundary waters will be so healing for that. Oh, but when you're out in the boundary waters, you're not going to be anxious, depressed, whatever it is. It's not, you can't really, it's, I don't know. You can't really tell somebody that. I think if half the people, half of dads were having conversations with their kids that were more productive or moms or whoever it may be. We were just having more sit down, understanding, hearing each other about phones, about social media, about mental illness. We'd just be getting so much farther. Getting people to open up their minds and actually listening to other people is a huge thing. <laughs> Obviously, stereotypes aren't really helping us with our cross-generational transmission of wilderness passion. Whether stereotyping the wilderness as a dad zone for fishing, or millennials as uninterested in disconnecting from social media, what is consistent in these conversations is the message that wilderness teaches us how to be our most honest selves, both in the backcountry and outside of it and that we can all benefit from learning about each other's perspectives. But the reality of how to translate that knowledge into action is still a huge hurdle, as Stu noted back in that early interview. People on the statewide, federal level are all making an effort to recruit people and get them more interested in the outdoors, but the demographics and just the cultural, societal changes are some heavy, heavy hurdles to clear there, so... I'm not optimistic about little old me being able to make an impact, but still I try and um, that's all I can do. For a long time, it's about, it's about representation. People aren't going out into the Boundary Waters who are maybe young, you know, have less access because they aren't hearing people like them talk about it. 
So something that I've always been encouraged by is hearing the experiences, especially of the minority groups in the outdoors, um, getting women who have worked in the outdoors, um, hearing about their experiences and how it's changed their lives, and then hearing about different races and how it works with um, their perspective on the world, getting people out and actually having the opportunities to have groups of people that have specific needs, having events set up for them, having um, outdoor activities or outdoor um, excursions set up specifically for those people to, so that they're more encouraged to go into the outdoors and then they can kind of flourish and go in and be a part of everything. And places like Canoeacopia are a great way to be able to start people off, um, but it can be very intimidating because everybody here is probably going to know what they're talking about to some extent. And so having something like this that is even more inclusive in new people and maybe even having an activity for people to learn how to do something instead of just being experts on everything is a great way to include everybody in what we're doing now circling back to why maybe there aren't as young many young people going into the boundary waters out here like there's lots of women there's lots of young people there's more representation and that's just beginning in the boundary waters one element of wilderness that we all love is its preservation with some exceptions, we can feel confident that when we return year after year, the lakes, portages, and campsites will still be there waiting for us. That can be really comforting when everything in our human world is constantly changing. And the concerns we had a few years ago may not be the same concerns we have in the future. Here is Stu again, talking about a common concern that has completely changed over the last few years. When I was in college, it was all about, oh, we're going to overpopulate the world and love the wilderness to death. It has not happened that way, much to a lot of people's surprise. It's just the, the demographics and the decline in wilderness recreation, that's the one scary part from both a business standpoint and because I know and love it and nothing's enriched my life more than that wilderness experience or chasing after it anyway. So, you know, I feel bad to see that on the decline. This audio snapshot in time has our paddling community navigating lots of hard conversations. We want to get more folks to enjoy the wilderness, but we don't want to see the wilderness trampled. We want technology to enhance our experience in the wilderness, but not infringe on the beauty we seek. We will likely never settle into a place of perfect balance on these issues as they constantly change with our human experiences over time. Here is Hazel one last time to give us an important reminder. Like we're all just doing our best and we're doing in the Boundary Waters or a slot canyon or wherever we are, and we're all just doing our best. You can't expect that you're gonna go on some sort of trip and just be enlightened or have this Oh, and the Boundary Waters was so different from my real life. Because it's like, I don't know. You have to resist the expectations of this is what it's going to do for me. And instead, just be present. You're doing your best.
Matthew, I think the big takeaway from that is that it's the issues are both complex and ever-changing. Yeah, which I kind of like. That as soon as I think I know something, I realize I don't really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's always more to learn or something that's not the same as it was. Right, and, and also in that sense, and even more perhaps just philosophically to beyond the paddling scene, is that problems aren't necessarily always problems. It's just life. It's the way it is. <laughs> yep, and we're all really just doing the best we can. Yeah. I like that a lot. It's a great episode. Good to hear some people back on the podcast who we've heard from before, from Stu to Hazel to Emily. Yeah, and there's just so many really passionate young people that advocate for the wilderness and love the wilderness. And as a matter of fact, if you want to hear any of the full interviews with Emily, Will, Hazel, Ben, uh, we're going to get all those posted up. Uh, so you can listen to those full featured interviews and hear all the thoughts and all the travels. Right, and that's going to be on the WTIP website, so not on Spotify or iTunes where you're maybe listening to this right now or even on SoundCloud, but on WTIP.org we actually have a spot for the Boundary Waters podcast within that. And you can just type in Boundary Waters Podcast WTIP into Google and it'll probably take you to our website, which is WTIP.org. Go to the episodes and you'll find them all there, links to them and so forth to get the just the essentially the raw audio of those conversations you had with those people you just mentioned. Exactly. I think we do our best to bring these very long conversations into something sort of cohesive and digestible in these episodes, but there's a lot that gets left out that's pretty pretty dang interesting. Mm-hmm. So go check it out. Right. All right. Well, another thing that we didn't mention, now it's in June. The black flies are here. They've been swarming us. I think the, got bit on my <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I thought you were going to say black bears. I was like, what? Yeah. Oh. They are here, too. What do you, what's worse, a black fly or a black bear? What about a black fly the size of a black bear? <laughs> <laughs> To sing when I paddle Feeling not thinking If the strokes are true We're gonna get through To the other side Out in the night The waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding You can hear them roar Ooh, me Rock me in my dreams You can roll me Rock me in my dreams So I like to sing Dance, I play the fool if I got the chance. All around the campfire light, all around the campfire light, all around, all around, all around the campfire light.